Hello, my friends, and welcome to the Bible in Order, where we are chronologically going through the entire Bible in one year. Today's reading for November 30th is 1 Corinthians chapters 5 through 8. Chapter 5 confronts open sin. A man was having an intimate relationship with his stepmother, which is just wrong on so many levels. And people must have been talking about it for Paul to have heard about it so many miles away. And it must have been going on for quite some time for Paul to be addressing it in a corporate letter. It's like he's saying, don't you understand you're supposed to be holy? Don't you understand, believers, you are supposed to be different from the people of the world? You are called to a higher standard. You know in your heart that that behavior is wrong, it's inexcusable, it should not be tolerated, so much so that the best thing you can do for that man who is in that sinful relationship is to hand that one over to Satan for the destruction of the flesh so that his spirit may be saved in the day of the Lord. There's so much in this for us to understand. One is Satan's job, his task, his role to play in the kingdom of heaven, or really in believers, is to destroy the flesh. If things are not going well in your life, or even if they are, like for Job, if Satan is granted access, it's for you to level up in the kingdom. Maybe it's for you to stop sinning, like for this man. Maybe it's for you to grow in your wisdom and your understanding. Like for Job, most of us are somewhere in between. But when things start going awry and you feel as though Satan has been given control of your life, God allows that or even appointed that so that you will press into him. That is the part of the narrow way. That is the tribulation that the Bible speaks of. This is why we rejoice in our trials of diverse kinds. Ultimately, it's for our character growth, it's for our holiness, and it's for our maturity. Two closely related, but fundamentally different things. The second thing that we notice here is that the people in this congregation had the authority to hand that one man over for walking in unrepentant sin. The authority given to the body of Christ is that we would hold one another accountable. Of course, the world says, don't judge me. Didn't Jesus say not to judge? And yes, in a sense, that is true. And yes, he did. But we must understand the context. We are not to consider ourselves better than others. We are not to assume we know where somebody is going to spend eternity. But Paul says here clearly, we are to judge one another. We are not to judge the world. We are not to be out there trying to convict the world of its sin. No, but we are to treat each other that way. We are called to a higher standard. The world is not. We are not out there trying to make the world be like us, God forbid. But we as believers, those fellowshipping with one another, are to hold each other accountable. We are to expect holiness from one another. And when somebody is not walking in holiness, we, as their brother, as their sister, 
those living in close community with them are to call them out, out of love, out of a desire to see them live their best life, which is one of spiritual maturity and holiness. In verse 9, Paul says, I wrote you a letter not to have anything to do with people who are sexually immoral. But I'm not talking about the people of the world. I'm talking about the people of the church. Anyone who claims to be a brother and doesn't live a holy life, have nothing to do with them. Don't even have a meal with them. Most of us today in American culture don't understand the context of church discipline. This really has to do with living a holy lifestyle, but it also has to do with church discipline. And many of us in Western society don't understand the context of church discipline, which is laid out for us by Jesus in Matthew 18, and it's touched on here quite deeply as well. The reason we don't understand the context is because many of us go to large churches with hundreds or maybe even thousands of people, and the way we've seen church discipline practiced in these large congregations is quite uncomfortable when Somebody's sins are addressed from a pulpit with the members of the body there giving agreement or not on whether or not this person should be excommunicated from that fellowship. That does not feel very loving to the person walking in sin, and it often will hurt them more than it will help them repent. It is helpful for this context to keep in mind that these bodies of believers that Paul was writing to and that the other epistles were addressed to were almost always documented as being home churches. They were intimate gatherings where a few families likely were getting together. This is separate from the synagogues. The synagogues weren't even full of believers. Paul would go to the synagogues and try to persuade the people meeting there to become believers. So these letters were not written to the synagogues, which would be like the size of many of our churches today. So these letters were not written to the synagogues or the houses of worship, the temple, or anything such as that. They were written to individual believers and the churches that met in their homes most of the time. So the context of church discipline, of handing someone over to Satan, of removing somebody from their fellowship— was the people you know the best, your your best friends, the people that you hang out with every day as you're walking in sin, these people saying, look, I love you so much and I want God's best for you. And you're saying that you're a follower of Jesus Christ, yet your actions are not lining up with your words. And we know how God will judge hypocrites. We don't want that for you, please change the way that you're acting because we love you. We don't we don't want to see you suffer. We want to see you restored. This church discipline was not announcing somebody's shortcomings from a microphone before hundreds of people. It was an intimate conversation sitting on a sofa with their dearest friends, the people they did life with. And it was motivated by love for the end result of that person to be restored in their relationship with God. Chapter 6 goes on to address these believers and how they are struggling 
to walk with the Lord, how they're struggling in unity. They're even suing one another. And Paul says, why would you as believers go to governmental courts? Why would you let your personal matters be looked at and judged by people who aren't believers, who don't have the Holy Spirit? Don't you understand that you will be judging the angels? How much more should you be able to help each other when you, there is a dispute? The second part of chapter 6 is about sexual purity and how important it is that we maintain holiness. Don't you know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit? When you are with someone intimately, don't you know that the two of you become one? There's a soul tie that's created through sexual union between two people. And every time you do that, you are joining yourself to that person. You're taking on their problems and their issues. It's a huge open door to spiritual attack. Everything that the enemy is doing to them, they now have access to do to you. Don't tie yourself to people randomly. Don't tie yourself to people who don't have the same precious faith as you. A lot of times, sexual immorality in the Bible is just that. It's doing things that we know are wrong, being promiscuous, homosexual acts. God did not call us to such things. He called us to purity. Some people would say, but I was born this way. The world even tells us that we were born a certain way and that we should embrace it. I don't know of a single person who was born with the intention or feeling of being monogamous. This is a hard teaching because it's so personal and it's so hotly contested because it's because there's so much power in it. The enemy knows that our hearts are so closely tied and easily drawn away by the emotional connections that we form with other people. We all have this desire to be loved, to be seen, to be understood. And the enemy knows that we're much more likely to feel that. Somebody who is physically attractive and who pays attention to us. For the young believer, and definitely for the unbeliever, the temptation is always to go after what is easier and what is more physically apparent. And so when faced with the choice of denying one's flesh and earthly desires in order to have a deeper relationship with a God we cannot see, or choosing to have a sinful relationship that meets the needs we have as people, almost everyone will choose that physical human-to-human -human relationship. But the enemy is a liar, and the one thing he promises is never what he delivers. The world parrots the lies of the enemy. Do what you want. It'll help you feel good. You will be truly happy if you live that way or if you enter that relationship or stay in that relationship. There used to be a debate about whether or not homosexual people were born that way. And in just a few short decades, that's not even a question anymore in our society. It's now whether or not minor attracted children should have the right to act on what they want. It should not be this way, friends. We all know it. And at the same time, it's not our place to judge the world. We judge each other.
those we live in community with. Chapter 7 is about being married, getting married, staying single. Paul says it's better if you stay single. You won't have to try to keep another person happy. You can do whatever God is calling you to do. And yet it's not wrong if you get married either. And chapter 8 is about food offered to idols. If you are mature and it doesn't offend you, if your faith is strong enough that you can eat meat that was sold at a temple from an animal that was sacrificed to a pagan god, go ahead. We all know that the god doesn't really exist anyway. It's just a figment of imagination of other people. Worst case scenario, it's a demon. The demon has no power over our god. If you're strong enough to eat that and it doesn't hurt you, go go ahead. But, but if you're with a younger believer whose faith isn't as strong as yours and they see you eating it, it's going to shipwreck them, then don't do it. Out of love for that younger believer, have nothing to do with that. Be called out, be set apart. That's the point of all of this. You Christians are supposed to be different. You're supposed to be set apart. God says, be holy because I am holy. And be motivated by love because that's what God does. He loves us so very well. God bless you, my friends. Thank you for being on this journey with me. We'll see you tomorrow. And for those of you who are interested, I help people buy and sell real estate. I am a senior real estate specialist and a strategic listing specialist with Call It Closed International Realty would love to partner with you to achieve your real estate goals. And if you are a real estate professional, I'd love to partner with you as well. Come on over to Call It Closed, regardless of where you work or how long you've been in the business. It would be an honor. Thank you for your consideration.